Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this very special episode of the ELT Upgraders podcast. In this episode, we are featuring an interview that Jake conducted with educational thought leader Charles Fidel. Now, Charles Fidel co-founded the Centre for Curriculum Redesign based in Boston uh, in the United States. He is the co-author of recently published Four-Dimensional Education, the competencies learners need to succeed. He is also the co-author of best-selling book 21st Century Skills, Learning for Life in Our Times. He is also the co-author of Deeper Learning, and he frequently keynotes on topics such as STEM and education technology. He works with a number of boards and organizations around the world with a common goal for educational change. And please do check out his, uh, his website, the Center for Curriculum Redesign, at curriculumredesign.org. And you can follow this link on our Macmillan Asia website. So let's listen and see what Charles and his team are working on across the world to make education more relevant. Good morning, Charles Fidel. Hi Charles, it's Jake here, how are you? Hi Jake, how are you? Very good, nice to meet you. Likewise. So, when I first came across four-dimensional learning. I just wanted to give you a bit of background first before we kick off. I, I first came across it not long ago, only five or six months ago, and I I picked it up and I, I couldn't stop reading it. I just sort of started and then got through it in two days, and then it changed the whole way I thought about... I mean, I'd heard the ideas before, and I'd heard of curriculum redesign and 21st century skills, but the way you put it together... And the way it's sort of structured in there, it just sort of changed the way I was doing training and I started experimenting, especially with the meta-learning in, in Chapter 6 there. And I started experimenting with some workshops and classes and students and teachers and um, I think it sort of hit a lot of us because we, we train on, I used to train on like a sort of a master's level course and those teachers really grabbed it and were ready to go. So that was sort of a bit of background for me. And by the, by the way, let, let me say what you just said uh, about how much you, you enjoyed the, the work. It mm-hmm. is really, really so kind because um, um, it, it's a hard message to pass to a lot of teachers that they need to change because the world is changing. Of yeah. So can we go back to, I think for, for the people who will be listening to this podcast, they might need a bit of a background there. So can I just ask you just to quickly, just a minute or two, introduction of who you are and how you got into this whole idea of curriculum redesign? Well, certainly. Thank you, Jake. Um, I am the founder and chairman of the Center for Curriculum Redesign, which I created about five years ago after leaving the corporate world. I have spent the first part of my career in technology, first in microchips, then in systems, uh, ending at Cisco a networking company. Mm-hmm. And throughout my career, I transitioned from technology to education technology to education policy. And this is where I'm operating now. Uh-huh. So in doing so, by starting the center, I've tried to focus the world on this important question of what should students learn for the 21st century? Mm-hmm. Because as you all know so well, we spent the past five or so decades uh, thinking about new 
pedagogical means, how to teach better. But really, we haven't spent enough time rethinking what should be taught in the first place, particularly for a world that is constantly changing, that's becoming more volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous. And of course, that would force us to rethink what is taught in terms of knowledge, you know, what is modern versus traditional knowledge, what kind of modern knowledge should be taught, for instance, entrepreneurship or robotics or cinematography and so on. Mm -hmm. But also it forces us to rethink the competencies we need to, to have. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Did you always have an interest, you said you went from education, uh, sorry, from technology to ed tech and then moved into education full-time. When did you first get that passion or interest for the education side of things? Is that something Actually, that came over time? I, my training is in physics and electrical engineering mm -hmm. and in business. And so I was not there early on in my career. But um, starting with uh, analog devices and then Cisco, I realized that there was only so much one could achieve by um, helping the marketing of faster and more ingenious devices. Really, in the end, if we want to help humanity and its problems, it's going to take more than technology. Technology is agnostic. It sometimes not only solves problems, but also creates problems of its own. And so technology isn't the only thing that matters. We have to go beyond that and start thinking about how do we use technology better Yes, that was the first step. But beyond that, what are the policies we need to put in place to teach and learn better on a broad basis, including but not limited to technology? And you went on just then to mention competencies. Can you expand on, the, on, on that a little bit? Certainly. By competencies, we mean everything that all of us in our careers, in our life, need to operate successfully. So by competencies, we mean skills, such as our creativity, our critical thinking, our ability to communicate and collaborate. Mm -hmm. So basically how we use our knowledge. We also mean character, meaning how we behave and engage in the world. And those character qualities are mindfulness, curiosity, courage, resilience, ethics, and leadership. Mm -hmm. And lastly, our ability to reflect and adapt, which is, of course, at a premium in a world that's changing so fast. And that means a growth mindset, mm -hmm. a can-do attitude, in other words, and our metacognition, our ability to reflect. You mentioned the growth mindset, which was uh, in your four-dimensional learning. I think that's in, was it, it was about the, it was in the meta-learning chapter, yeah? Yeah. Did you four-dimensional four education? Sorry, four-dimensional education. Did you, with that growth and fixed mindset, was that something that you had looked at over time, or is it something that you? I mean, I, it's interesting because the, the the ideas in there are quite straightforward, but I hadn't seen it sort of laid out in such a clear in such a clear way before. How, how did you come up with to be pushing that idea of fixed and growth mindset? Well, we have to give entire credit to Carol Dweck. These are her ideas, mm -hmm. and, they re and that's why uh, they re she, she's referenced in the book, mm -hmm. and that's why uh, we're very pleased that she gave us uh, an endorsement. These are entirely her ideas. Mm -hmm. However, as I told her, 
these are perhaps some of the most profound ideas in education I've heard in a long time, mm. and they deserve a lot more propagation and understanding around the world. And that's why we were so pleased to be able to talk about that and embed that in our framework. Uh, in a sense, a can-do mindset is absolutely essential to our growth as individuals, as a society. And mm. so it's been underappreciated, in my opinion, in education circles, and it deserves the global um, visibility that uh, we're trying to give it via this book, as well as Carol herself via her own work. Mm-hmm. So, Charles, the first book you published was 21st Century Skills, Learning for Life in Our Times. Can we just give the listeners some like, your summary of what 21st Century Skills are? I know you've touched on them a bit there with the competencies, and but just another definition of 21st Century Skills and, and why you were first fascinated by them? Well, certainly. Um, when I was at Cisco, uh, Cisco was one of the founding members of P21, the Partnership for 21st Century Skills. And these corporations, uh, a number of corporations came together to try to inform uh, the education world that the corporate world needed not just knowledge and a certain inertness about it, but it needed the knowledge to be active. And that active knowledge implies an ability for higher order thinking skills. And we zeroed in on these four C's that you mentioned, creativity, critical thinking, communication, collaboration. It was in response to a need from employers, but you could just as well say it's a response for the needs for society. Mm. Society itself needs individuals that are creative and collaborative and so on. So it is good for employers, of course, but it's also good for society, no question. And so uh, once it became clear that we could pass on this message, we also realized, uh, I also realized, that there was only so much one could go in embedding these four C's in existing curricula. There's only so much time and space allocated. And so one way to do a lot more was to rethink the, the curricula themselves, the what of education. And that's the task we have started. And we're um, revisiting every subject, be it traditional and modern, to, to understand what is relevant to today's world versus what is obsolete, and create time and space this way so that we can do deep dives to learn skills and character and methodology. Mm. as well as learning, of course, the knowledge itself. And how do you see that relating to, to the future? How far ahead are you looking in the future when you're thinking about redesigning curriculums? It depends for, how, for what uh, subject. In other words, some disciplines change very rapidly and some disciplines change very slowly. Mm. Um, for instance, uh, philosophy changes rather slowly and computer science changes rather rapidly. Uh-huh. That said, it's really a question of what is the horizon that is reasonable. I think between now and 2030 is pretty much what we can look at and say with reasonable understanding that we're facing a number of uh, difficulties as a planet. You know, and these difficulties are highlighted in the book, but very quickly, there are, of course, technological disruptions, but we have all sorts of other problems, you know. Uh, political antagonism and fundamentalism and um, uh, migration and on and on. So as a planet, of course, uh, global warming. So as a planet, we're seeing a a number of stresses that we have to solve. 
And yes, there are short-term solutions, but the long-term solutions can only come from education. This mm. is how a number of countries have lifted themselves from poverty. And I'm thinking of Singapore and Korea, South Korea, that have become such a visible um, beacons because they have done so well at educating themselves from really dif difficult positions 50 years ago to now global leading becoming global leading countries. Mm. So, what what has been the biggest challenges that you've come across with? Say you've you've got your ideas for the redesigning and you you've, you've come up with a framework or a system, but then have you ever had have you had a chance now to actually try and implement some of your ideas there with with new curriculums? Absolutely, we're working with a half dozen different jurisdictions around the world, uh, ranging from New South Wales and Alberta to Finland and the Netherlands, uh -huh. uh, and everyone has their own set of complexities to deal with. But let me say that around the world, everyone would have to face up to at least four major roadblocks to solve. The first one is college entrance requirements. They force backwards what is taught in schools, because everyone, of course, wants to get into college. And so unless the college entrance requirements are reshaped to be modern, they will limit what gets taught in schools. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Second, w along with these college entrance requirements come assessments, and these assessments, be they uh, at the end of, case, uh, of schooling or at the end of every year of schooling or at the end of every uh, class, these assessments have to be adapted to actually what matters within every discipline. And so it is how you use your knowledge, not merely inert knowledge. So simply memorizing and building back out uh, what's in your memory is really not what we expect nowadays. In a world of search, we expect we can find information, but we expect understanding, not merely an information. Mm. Then the third uh, difficulty to face is politics, uh, right? Uh, whether it is uh, uh, teachers that have not been privy to the conversation and get surprised by changes that they don't understand from the governments, or um, governments changing and backflipping, going from one direction to the complete opposite just because of a change of, ad of administration and so on, these also slow progress. And lastly, uh, we have the bias of experts. Uh, experts of a given domain don't necessarily understand how their discipline is used. Mm. And they have also a very traditional view of what matters in their discipline rather than a more modern view. And that's a normal bias for humans. It's, we all suffer from it, um, and academic experts are not immune from it. Yeah, and I think not just academic experts, but practitioners as well. We have a major issue with that sort of gap between research and practice. And what I have found, in, especially here in China, is practice is about 10 years behind research and there's a lot of myths and uh you know neuroscience myths and that people are still uh pontificating in a sense and in the classroom but research has already proven those things wrong and i think so you, you have the academic bias but you also have the just people in the general classroom have their sort of belief inside that this is how it's meant to be done but research has already sort of changed how how things should be done so practice does not keep up with research i would think 
my next question was, I was just getting fascinated by what you were saying, so I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, that that was really good. Um, a nice, really nice summary of some of the challenges that you've had and how that's worked. Um, one of the things you you in the past, if we were talking, you were mentioning that we teaching knowledge and. It's very easy to assess for knowledge, right? I mean, do you think that assessment will still be important if we have fully integrated 21st century skills into curriculums and these other competencies? Will assessment still be important? And then how do you, how do you think that will, will happen? Will it be summative, formative? Will it be... Do, can you give me some thoughts on that? Certainly. Well, first of all, assessments will always be important. We need to understand where we are at. Mm-hmm. But it's a question of what type of assessments and how well are they designed. And this is where the conversation breaks down. So it's not a question about whether assessments uh, should be used or not. It's what type of assessment and when, and with what intent, punitive or not, mm. you know. And so this is where uh, we have to, to consider the following. First of all, as you mentioned, yes, it is easy to assess knowledge. It's a lot harder to assess skills and character qualities and meta learning. And so one would have to accept that we're going to go from only objective assessments to also accepting subjective assessments, which we all receive as part of our daily lives in our organizations, in our jobs, and somehow that works. So we have to accept that the world of assessments is not only going to be a very, very firm and objective one, but also a more malleable and subjective one, Mm. and uh, adapt our systems to do both, not one or the other. So that's for one. Second, we also have to accept that a summative assessment that happens only so often is nowhere near sufficient indication for the student and the teacher alike. And so we have to develop a lot more formative assessments so that the the guidance is given at every step of the way. And so the assessment becomes assessment uh, for learning and as learning rather than merely assessment of learning. because we do not know how to assess skills and character qualities particularly well, uh, the Center, the Center for Curriculum Redesign, has started an assessment research consortium so that we could pool resources together and start developing the science of assessment of skills and character. So, one final question. If I'm a teacher and I'm hearing about these things for the first time and, and that sort of light goes off, which I think you were talking about redesigning curriculums, which sounds by the very nature of how it's stated is that it sounds quite top-down, like it's coming from policymakers into a school. But is it possible to happen bottom-up where teachers can be changing it within the constraints of an old curriculum? Absolutely. Uh, teachers do have about... 20 to 30% overhead and latitude to change things. So it's not completely frozen. It's not completely top-down. There is a significant portion that can be done by the teachers in their classroom on on any given day. And so it's a a question for the teacher to seize the day and say, you know what, I have it in my power to start bringing in the following. First of all, decide what is more important uh, in terms of knowledge, what's more relevant nowadays. Do I really want to teach as much trigonometry? Or perhaps I should be teaching game theory. You know, perhaps some of these things matter too. Or simply deepen the understanding of exponentials because that's how 
Zika and Ebola are progressing, and we need the population to understand these things. So rethinking knowledge, each teacher for each discipline can rethink what actually really, really matters in my discipline and how should I be spending my time. There's a certain latitude to do that. Mm. Second, within knowledge, by using modern pedagogies, one can pay attention to the appropriate skills and character qualities in meta-learning. It's a question of deliberately embedding these things so that the learning is not merely rote, simply sitting and listening, but the learning is active via projects. And through the projects, then you can start developing collaboration and critical thinking and on and on. Mm -hmm. So I would say that there's plenty of latitude for the teachers. It's just a question of realizing that they have this power and starting to activate as much of it as they can in their environment. You mentioned earlier about this idea of you need to change what, not what, how and why. And I just wanted to finish on this idea of with the teachers that you've met face to face and when you in the in the systems you're working on now and when you meet those teachers face to face have you had issues with them believing in the change is, is that because we all know when we have change change is inevitable and we always have people who resist change right so have you had much resistance to the change well like every time you have a change process you have a distribution of uh, behaviors yeah. basically a bell curve and you have from the most willing and able and uh, dynamic and avant-garde to the most resistant. And that depends literally on, uh, the, on the school system, not just on the country or the jurisdiction. Mm. It's vastly, it, there's an enormous variation there. But I think, by and large, teachers are very, very, very well-meaning individuals. Mm. That's why they're teachers in general. And so they understand that they're there to help the students become everything they can be in life. We know teachers have that passion and dedication. And it's up to them to have this introspection, in essence, this metacognition, to look at themselves and ask themselves, are they truly serving the student to the best way they can, or are they being resistant for their own sake and because of their own fears? Once they will have examined that, they'll be in a better position to say, you know what, I have the mindfulness to take this forward, and I can help the students by embracing the changes that I think are appropriate for my city, for my country, for my school. Charles, I think that's an absolutely perfect place to end the interview. It's a very nice final statement there. Thank you so much for having time and speaking with us today, and very happy that your ideas and voice will be going to a Asian and wider market. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Jake, and it's been a pleasure, and I, I really wish all your listeners good luck. Thanks for that, Jake. That was a fascinating uh, insight to sort of modern, modern education. Yeah, it was, and lots of really tangible ideas that we can apply to language learning classrooms as well. Yeah, great. And hopefully we'll be speaking to Charles uh, again in the near future? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's agreed to come back for a few more podcasts, I hope, so looking forward to having him back online again. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, uh, we encourage you to go and check out his website at curriculumredesign.org and his recently published book four-dimensional education 
Fantastic. And in the meantime, stay tuned for more ELT Upgraders podcasts with myself, JC, and me, Jake Whitten, and see you all soon. See you next time. Bye-bye. This podcast was brought to you by Macmillan Education Asia and the ELT Upgraders. Uh, uh. Uh, uh. ELT, 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 ELT Upgraders.